One of the things that we discovered and that was borne out by some of the research that we discovered and also that we did ourselves is that buyers today want to interact with salespeople as equals. They want salespeople to come to the table with expertise and insight, and they want salespeople who can help them to refine their vision of what an optimal solution or an optimal kind of capability looks like. In other words, they want to collaborate with them. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, I have Tim Sullivan with me, and we're talking about collaborative selling, working with buyers to sell your best. Tim, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Steve. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. So by way of introduction, Tim Sullivan is Corporate Vice President of Business Development at Sales Performance International. Tim has authored several books on sales practices, including The Collaborative Sale and The Solution Selling Field Book, which you might have heard of. Um, Tim has over three decades of, of real-world experiences working to improve the performance of sales organizations. Uh, really excited to ask you some questions, Tim. Uh, for, let's start off with what what is collaborative selling since you wrote the book about it? Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> when, when, we, uh, when Keith Eads and I, Keith was the CEO of uh, Sales Performance International. He's just recently retired. But when he and I started uh, working on this book, we... We wrote it because our customers, and by the way, we have hundreds of uh, clients all over the world, some of the largest in uh, sales organizations. We work with small and mid-sized companies too, but they were telling seeing some fundamental changes in their buyer behavior, and it caused us to, to wonder, well, do we need to take another look at the principles of solution and value-centric kinds of selling, and do they, do they still apply in this world? And one of the things that we discovered and that was borne out by some of the research that we discovered and also that we did ourselves is that buyers today want to interact with salespeople as equals. They want salespeople to come to the table with expertise and insight, and they want salespeople who can help them to refine their vision of what an optimal solution or an optimal kind of capability looks like. In other words, they want to collaborate with them. Um, too many salespeople today see themselves, even, even today, especially in parts of the world that are you know, growing economies uh, and developing economies, they see uh, the role of salespeople as being a walking, talking brochure or a, you know, a, a walking billboard, if you will, or a, uh, something that's just a manifestation of their company's brand. And that doesn't add a lot of value to buyers today. They have, uh, increasingly are less patient with those kinds of sellers. The sellers that are thriving today and doing really well develop expertise. They build their own brand uh, around that expertise. And they, they look forward to collaborating with customers to build an optimal solution. So collaboration is a, um, one of the fundamental skills that are required for success today. And I, I think too many sellers don't fully understand or appreciate how important that has become. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and, and in your book, you talk about the new buyer. Is, is this mm -hmm. what the new buyer is? Well, new buyers, um, first of all, we, we have this thing, you may have heard of it, called the internet. 
that's uh, appeared recently. Uh, wait, wait, what? No, what's that? Yeah, it's interwebs <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. The uh, it's had a unbelievably profound effect uh, on the way that buyers behave today, and it's continuing to change buyer behavior. Uh, buyers today are more empowered than ever before. Uh, they're literally bombarded with information all the time. In fact, many of them are confused because of things like content marketing and account-based marketing where people are throwing things at them all the time to try to get their attention. You know, we have all of these uh, amazing tools, uh, you know, that uh, provide all these kinds of automated cadences that salespeople can try to get, you know, through a variety of different vectors to get uh, the attention of potential buyers. So imagine a buyer is, is you know, just inundated in, with information today. And what we found is that, first of all, buyers are, are very impatient. They want immediate results. They want immediate progress from every interaction that they have. Uh, when they first engage with a salesperson, they want that to be a valuable, the, the old uh, school, hey, let's get to know each other and build some rapport and you know, then we'll see where this thing goes. It doesn't work that way anymore. They expect that seller to show up understand their challenges and their issues, or at least have some kind of a hypothesis of what that is, and come armed with some ideas about how they can make uh, their lives better and solve their problem. Um, buyers are also, uh, because they have access to all this information, they want to control the buying process. And when I started in the software industry, I sold mainframe software uh, back in the early 80s, I was the sole conduit through which all information flowed. So Buyers had to see me. It was relatively easy to get an appointment and if you called the right people. And all the information that they needed, they had to get through me. So it was, it was relatively easy to, uh, to control the conversation and the pace at which that buyer made that decision. That is completely not true today. Today, buyers can go online and talk to your customers in a few minutes if they want to. Uh, they, it's not difficult for them to do it. And they have access to all kinds of information. Uh, and so therefore they, they want to form their own opinions before they decide to invite selling organizations to even participate. Uh, so buyers have changed dramatically. Um, you've heard some of these statistics, I'm sure, you know, the buyers can be anywhere from 50 to 57% through their buying cycle before they ever connect with sellers. That's not entirely true in all situations, which is one of the things that we found from our research. Well, what we see all the time actually that, that, buyers will go right around our, our sales organization. So people, cause you know, we sell software, obviously, but Badger, uh, Badger will get purchased and we've never talked to anyone. Right. Um, because we've, we've built all these, like, you know, if someone can self onboard, basically they can, they can set it up themselves and walk them through it with tutorials. They can get all their questions at, answered just, just on our webpage and our knowledge base, et cetera. And, and it's just pretty intuitive to use. So we'll, I, I actually, I bet, about half of our revenue comes from people that have no, they've never talked to anyone over here at all. And, yeah. uh, and, and that's, that's, you could, that was unheard of, you know, when I was selling software, you know, 10 years ago. Absolutely. I, I'm finding that to be true of a wide variety of different products. I come from the software industry and I always assume that the best salespeople came from the software industry because you know, after all, that's what we come from. But what I'm discovering is that, the best salespeople, and this, this is a, a humbling truth, are the people who sell the most commoditized things. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I, I don't think the best, I, I've always been in, sale, in, in technology sales, but half the time when I've been selling throughout my career, 
in technology sales, I sell the only version or at least the only good version of the of, of a solution to a problem that some people right. have. So should they have that should they have that problem, they kind of have to go through, go through my company to, to solve it. And so it's, yeah. it, does that make you the best salesperson if you can do that? No, but you're right. If you're selling tires or you know, you know something that's a relatively commoditized industry, you've got to be a killer salesperson. If you, you know, it's yeah. differentiating, you've got nasty competition, then margins are tighter, you know, it's just everything is, is harder. In fact, one of our clients uh, sells office supplies super hard industry you know uh, and that's actually a big industry for badger because those guys you know go around meeting with people face to face and you know every, right. offices are everywhere so that's that's been a big uh, industry for us yeah, tough and, industry tough industry but they're but they're they could be successful um if they realize what they're really selling they're not really selling you know paper and paper clips and all the things that you need to, to run an office what they're really selling is just in time inventory and offsite storage and uh, just-in-time shipping of all those kinds of things that people need. Uh, they can, uh, now they have the, the systems and to be sophisticated to work even with very you know, small, mid-sized businesses to be able to make sure that they aren't overbuying and, and therefore what they're really selling is reduced inventories and improved cash flow, better effects on their, on their supply chain. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it, you know, it's paper and paper clips, but and, and not to mention, it's like, yeah. There's also the collaborative selling aspect that you're talking about too. I was just talking to a field salesperson in the in the office supplies industry, maybe a month or two ago, and uh, and and he was telling me about. I mean, he he sells a lot of like the bigger ticket items to larger corporations, right. and so it's a lot of like, you know, tables and chairs and you know stands for your monitors and stuff like that and and a lot a, a lot of it was that consultative selling that yeah. uh and, and so you know obviously he's using badger to plan his day and stuff but he was which is why i was talking to him but uh he and his team are are, are very much uh collaborative selling and consultative right. selling yeah in fact in the book uh there's a uh an example that we that i that i described i had the opportunity to follow um a salesperson who was in the uh, industrial gas industry. They sold tanks of tanks of air, basically, um, tanks of oxygen, tanks of different elements. Uh, it wasn't a big research and development group there. I mean, there is no new improved oxygen, right? So there's them talking <laughs> about commodity product. But there was one salesperson there who sold three times more than everybody else and had been doing so for years. And so I had the opportunity to follow him around for a few days and observe what he did. And the other sellers were looking for customers that were nearby their production facilities because they could give them a one-tenth of 1% reduction in the shipping costs and therefore try to get some kind of price advantage. Uh, And they thought that was the secret to selling. This fellow, what he would do is he would go to a hospital and he would uh, talk to the nursing staffs, especially in their emergency care area, how many, how many beds and what kind of uh, cases do you get here? And then he would go around the back of the hospital and he would look at where they stored their oxygen, which is if you ever see in a hospital, they have these huge tanks uh, around back where they store those kinds of things. And he would take pictures of it because, by the way, oxygen under pressure is explosive, so that's a safety issue. 
Um, and then he would get a map and he would look at the surrounding area and say, okay, we've got a chemical plant here and another industrial plant there. And you know, I know about 3,000 people work there. And if they had an accident, well, this is how many people would be coming in. And then he would go away and compile this risk analysis. You know, here's some of the safety issues that I found that need to be addressed in the way you're storing this. And oh, by the way, uh, if for some reason you had some kind of incident in one of these other nearby locations, based on what I've seen and the volume of cases that you have, you, you would run out of oxygen and therefore chances of people dying would go up and the average cost of a death in your industry is about $40 million. And so therefore, if you want to eliminate that risk, then here's what I recommend that we do to make sure that that you know, doesn't, in other words, what he sold was risk mitigation. Mm -hmm. And he didn't talk to purchasing uh, managers and supply managers. What he talked to was the chief financial officer saying, hey, I found a way to reduce your potential legal liability by more than $300 million. And I'd like to chat with you about a program to be able to do that. You know, and so that's why he sold three times more than anybody else. He got much more. In fact, he sold even sold at a higher price for the, because they saw value in the safety analysis and in the just-in-time planning that he did and create a whole program for how they get this very important kind of element that they needed to run their business. And uh, he was always very careful to say, hey, look, I collaborate with the customer to figure out exactly what their situation is. And then I apply my expertise to show how my capabilities can help them address their problem. And then I quantify it. Mm -hmm. And that kind of collaboration is something you don't see every day, but increasingly for commodity kinds of products. And, and of course, if it works at the commodity level, imagine how well it can work. We really do have some important you know, differentiators like, you know, technology features and functions that nobody else has. Um, that is the way that sellers have to behave today because buyers increasingly expect that kind of expertise. Um, this fellow had his own brand. I mean, literally, when, when he showed up, you know, after his reputation started to develop, you know, other hospitals would actually call him because they would come in and he would advise them on different parts of their operations. And, oh, by the way, by the way would you like to buy a whole lot of oxygen from me? Okay, yes. He sold other things as well, but that was his primary uh, way of, of, uh, of getting into those accounts. Um, that kind of collaborative behavior built around your own brand and expertise is really where selling is going today. Uh, I spoke at the uh, Sales 3.0 conference recently uh, in Las Vegas, and one of the things that we found in our research is that um, around the world, uh, I think the number two demanded position that people are trying to fill now uh, are sales representatives. There's very high demand for sellers, but they're very, very hard to fill because the skill requirements of sellers has almost doubled in the last five years. People are expecting sellers to do more in certain industries like healthcare, for example, used to just be able to go out and talk to doctors and give them samples and, hey, you know, call me when you want to place an order. Now you have to talk to B2B, you know, buying committees and you've got to sell the value and get on the formulary. And, you know, there's a lot of back and forth and you have to really understand the challenges of the people that you're selling to in order to be successful. So the skill levels required of sellers is really, I think, dramatically increasing. Uh, in some industries, the number of sellers is declining. Uh, I mentioned uh, pharmaceutical. I think uh, 
about, uh, I think at uh, 15 years ago, I'm going to try and cite these numbers from memory. I think there were about 102,000 pharmaceutical salespeople in the U.S. And today there are less than 30,000. Mm-hmm. But what they expect those people to do is easily twice as sophisticated and twice as more difficult than, than it used to be. Um, so the ability to master these kinds of collaborative uh, value building skills is uh, becoming. Yeah, great, uh, great movie to know how, understand how the sales industry in, in pharmaceuticals was, was working back in the, its heyday is uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Love and Other Drugs. That was a yes. great, movie. <laughs> great movie for that to see what they were doing. That's right. But, but yeah, I mean, that, that, in that industry, I, you know, I, I don't think that industry is a bellwether for how sales is being replaced by AI or um, inside sales or anything like that. That I don't, I think that's a very special industry because they, because of the heavy regulations they have yes. undergone and, and been been subject to, especially around sales. That's that's really cut those mm-hmm. numbers down. In most industries, I, I actually see the number of salespeople growing, and the, even with all the automation and and uh, and and everything else that we're seeing, I, I feel the the sales teams that I'm that I'm working with are are generally adding more salespeople yeah. because they're because they're so valuable. Well, Gardner and Forrester would disagree with you. Um, manpower would also say there might be fewer reps in certain uh, uh, certain parts of the world, but you know the skill level is higher, which is making them harder to fill. Mm. Um, it, certainly, different companies have different go-to-market models, so you know the number of sellers is uh, you know might vary from company to company. But well, I, I guess I'm uh, you know I'm not I'm not like citing accurate statistics that are like across all industries. I guess it's just the people that I'm working with and, I, and that's, yeah. a, that's a special group. I mean, obviously Badger sells to field sales teams and you know, I'm seeing those field sales teams that I'm working with grow, but that, that could be, um, I, 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 don't, I don't know about the, the broader, yeah. I, I, the, like a forester, I would love to see like a forester study or something about like what's yeah. actually going well, on for, with the number of this. Forrester put out a, a, a paper uh, just you know, a couple of years ago and they said that uh, you know, the number of uh, sellers is declining by, you know, I think, a million people over the next uh, in the U.S. Uh, over the next uh, five years. Uh, hmm. You know, Gerhard Geschwander, who's the publisher of Selling Power magazine, mm-hmm. said, you know, the number of sellers isn't dramatically decreasing over the next ten years. I, I, here's the reason why that's happening. First of all, the definition of what a seller is is changing. Um, we're also seeing that sellers back in, you know, back when I first learned to sell, I did everything, you know, I stimulated interest and got access to the right people and prepared my presentations and put together proposals and you know, we did the whole thing. Right. Seeing is uh, people who that are part of the sales effort, but they actually do some of these things. And they're also this bifurcation of the sales effort. So the front end for business development now is going to, business development or sales development reps who are specialized in these kinds of things. And Mm -hmm. so you get more economic value out of having people that are specialized and really good at that one thing. Um, We're also seeing uh, salespeople being supported by subject matter experts, uh, you know, either industry or product experts that come Mm -hmm. in, do the, put the, put together the value propositions and so forth. So it's not that sellers, um, that there are fewer of them, but I think the diversification of the sales process and the sales function mm-hmm. has increased uh, maybe overall the number of people, but in different roles. Is that fair? 
Yeah, that no, I, that I definitely buy as well. I mean, because we've yeah. we've had we've seen this trend in specialization of the different sales roles of you know into SDRs and BDRs and the actual salesperson and the and the CS, the uh, customer success relationship manager, right. and subject manager, management experts, all these different the, the shattering of the sales role from the you know when, yeah. when 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 you and even when I started my career it was it was you know one one ring to rule them all, you know, one, one, yeah, one, one person, right. one person did everything. Um, uh, but now it's shattered. So I, yeah, I guess if you, if you counted all those roles as sales, which they all are, I mean, they're, they're yeah. just, you know, pieces of the sales process instead of one person doing all of it. Um, then I, yeah, that, that would probably change the numbers too. But also I, I, I you know, once I, you know, I'm also just dealing with a, a biased group, right? Like the, the types of, sure. I'm, the types of companies I'm working with are a, you know, they're using badgers. So they, they're obviously a field sales team and they're one that is interested in efficiency and they're, you know, so yep. it's a very, that that's a special, it's a, it's a slice of the world that is not necessarily representative of everything. I'm not, I'm not right. doing any broader research or anything. You did say something earlier though, that I wanted to come back to and I forgot to do it. Um, and that is uh, buyers today, if they perceive a, um, product or capability that they perceive as a, as a, as a true commodity. Mm -hmm. Don't want to talk to salespeople at all, as they, as you said, I mean, if they can do, do the research, build confidence, this is the solution I want to buy. If they acquire it without any human intervention at all, you know, they'll do it that way. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, basically in those uh, kinds of industries where there's not a lot of opportunity for salespeople to create, value in the way they engage or the way they manifest the customer brand or support an optimal customer experience. The optimal customer experience is to get them out of the way and let the, let the buyer go directly to the transaction. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, one of our clients uh, is a technology firm and they have a, uh, a product, an internet, uh, you know, product uh, similar to a router that is uh, becoming a commodity today. Their sellers used to go from you know, different corporations and sell you know thousands of these things at a time, but the buyers have figured out well you know what these things are kind of a dime a dozen and you know if I can just go online and order them direct and then have them ship locally with partners and other you know nearby kinds of distribution facilities I'd rather do that so they've completely eliminated that field sales force and make those kinds of commodity products available to their customers over the web and. Customers are a lot happier with that because they get them faster and they, they get what they believe to be the best price and there's not a lot of haggle and hassle. So it's the, it's the optimal experience for them. So I think in certain, certain industries where uh, you're selling a commodity product and it just makes sense for, you know, to get out of the way and let sell, sellers do what sellers are good at, which is how do I help figure out complex problems or how do I find a way to provide incremental value beyond the product itself or beyond the kinds of capability that I'm selling. Um, another good example is, you know, we worked with a shipping company uh, and they uh, normally were selling on price based on availability. So, you know, I have a, I have a ship with so much space on it, so many containers that I can put on it and I charge a certain amount per square meter for that space. And what I'm really selling is availability the cost for that that item well you know that's just a sort of creates this sort of uh, uh rush to the to the floor if you will in terms of lower and lower prices so 
So the shipping company decided, okay, what we're going to do instead is we're going to have ships that leave every day at a certain time, and we're going to reduce the uh, the window of uncertainty as to when your goods will arrive uh, dramatically. It used to be plus or minus a week because the ship would sit there until it got full before it would actually take off. But if it's leaving you know, every day to go on its route, then a lot more predictability, but they need to charge a higher price. So they had to change the sales team's behavior to from selling price and availability, which frankly you could do online if you wanted to, just go online and place your order, to selling impact on the value chain and greater certainty, the ability to track where your inventory was and lower, uh, lower amounts of cash tied up in that inventory and knowing that it was gonna get there within a certain very limited range uh, so that you can then uh, use that to predict your, your future revenues more predictably and so forth. I mean, that was, that, that's a shift from commodity selling and selling price and availability to selling a true solution to a supply chain and the value that that is created which required a whole new set of skills on the part of the sellers to be able to do that effectively. Uh, and they, and they, the good news is that once you identify what those skills are, you can give them tools to be able to do it and you can train them in the appropriate kinds of methods and approaches to be able to do it. And they can actually uh, make that successful. In this particular case, uh, this, uh, this shipping company uh, was able to generate an incremental, I think, 130 million more than they expected in the first few months. And it, uh, so as a result, they cut the amount of time that they expected this to be unprofitable by more than half. And then it now became a very profitable venture for them. So sellers can adapt to buyer, the new buyers. They can adapt to these behaviors, but organizations have to equip them with the right tools and the right training and the right knowledge to be able to uh, to really truly be collaborative sellers today. And, you know, to kind of zoom out from, from the examples to the, the, uh, to, to the general behavior, how can field salespeople figure out how to be collaborative with, mm -hmm. with their customers? How, how, if you're, if you're approaching that as a field salesperson, <laughs> how can, how can you become the guy that is, you know, not just selling air, but it, to hospitals, but is is yeah. selling a, a risk mitigation solution. How can you become yeah. the, the the shipping company that's selling, you know, the the guarantee of when it's going to arrive, and therefore being a, a solution to a to a, a, this uh, this supply chain problem? How how does if you're just a seller, how do you how do you structure the thought process around this? Right. Well, first of all. And we discussed this in the in the book, uh, the collaborative sale. Uh, the main thing that we saw that was the biggest difference between collaborative sellers and those that were, you know, using old-fashioned uh, ways of engaging with customers is that they first define themselves by the problems they solve and the value they create, not the things that they sell. Um, you know, it's like asking someone in the insurance industry, you know, what do you do for a living? Well, I sell insurance. Well. There's no sure way to, you know, turn people away and not want to talk to you. But instead, if they say, um, well, I help families mitigate risk and, you know, protect their assets. Well, well, how do you do that? Right. Tell me more about that. That sounds like something I could, I could do. So first of all, defining yourself and what you do as a sales professional in terms of the kind of value that you create is a huge psychological advantage and the collaborative sellers excelled at being able to do that. In fact, they took great pride in their profession because they could identify how they made the world a better place, you know, beyond just being able to sell things. Um, 
The other, so that's the first thing is to define your own brand. The second thing is um, understand where you bring expertise to help address or create that value. Uh, and then build, constantly build that expertise. Uh, so a lot of uh, new sellers will tell us, well, you know, I don't have 20 years of experience. You know, how can I really differentiate myself and be, you know, be this collaborative seller? Well, the truth is that when we really look at what uh, new sellers learn when they learn about their products and learn about their capabilities, you know, that makes them an expert in that thing. And the question you have to ask yourself is, how often do your buyers actually buy that compared to how often and how much you know about the capability that you're offering? So you have to have more confidence in your ability to present that, that value proposition. Um, yes, experience does help and more creativity and more knowledge and et cetera, you know, but you, you come to the table already with the appropriate, if you're, you know, been appropriately trained around your capabilities with more knowledge than what, uh, most of your buyers have. So you can use that as a way to begin to develop your own brand. The other thing that um, we found that collaborative sellers do uh, beyond just thinking about their job differently and then building the, the expertise they need to be able to manifest their brand um, is that they are very, very good at understanding where a buyer is in their journey when they first engage with them that's different than other sellers who tend to treat all buyer interactions in roughly the same way. So what I mean by that is we find that that buyers go through certain steps in the psychology of buying something. And this can be very short or it can be very long depending on how strategic or how expensive that particular purchase decision is. Um, it starts in a latent state where I don't even really know that I have a, a better way of doing things or that I even have a problem that needs to be addressed. And then it moves from a, oh, oh gosh, I, I do have an issue and I need to do something. Well, what exactly do I need to do? So I'm gathering needs and requirements, a variety of different alternatives. And then I, I look at the risks. So if I, if I purchase this thing, you know, can I afford it? Am I getting the best price? Can we implement that? You know, what's going to be involved? Do I have to learn new things? What are all the things that could go wrong? Um, and so a collaborative buyer, when they first in, engage with a, with a, with a buyer, or a collaborative seller, when they first engage with a, with a buyer, is they ask themselves, where are they in this journey? Are they at a very early stage? Are they still gathering requirements? Have they got a, a beginning to formulate a vision and they're just evaluating alternatives? Or are they just in the, in the stage where they're trying to mitigate risk? In many cases, when, you, when sellers are called in that final stage, they just say, well, I just need a price quote. Or can you just send me a proposal? Because what are they doing? They're comparing that to make sure that the decision they've already made is the right decision. So the behaviors then that a seller then executes, you know, do I need to educate people about their capability and make them aware that there could be a better way of doing things and what would the implication of that be, you know? All the way through, can I help them formulate a vision and collaborate with them? Or, you know, how do I refine a vision they may already have? And then finally, how do I re-engineer that vision to one that might actually be better than what they're currently looking at? So depending on where the, the buyer is in their process, a collaborative seller first looks at that and then decide, and then adjusts in an agile way to where that buyer needs to, to go next in order to have, make a good decision. Um, collaborative sellers are exceptional at this. They do it intuitively, but it's a skill that can be learned. 
by looking at and understanding where the buyer is when they first engage with them. Now, we said a little bit earlier that most buyers today go through at least halfway through the purchase process before they ever engage with anybody. So they're already in that evaluating alternative stage. And that's generally today. So when sellers do engage, they're either kind of midway through or even in that final phase of evaluating risk. Um, the best sales, the most collaborative salespeople say, well, okay, I understand what your vision is. Let's try to find ways to refine or improve that. Would you be open to some, maybe some alternative ways you hadn't considered, right? And also to mitigate your risk, here's some ideas of things that you might want to look at in order to evaluate whether or not this is a, a good decision for you and uh, what would, what's going to be needed in order for you to make that decision. In other words, I'm consulting them about how they can be successful. Um, if I am engaging with an early stage buyer, that's completely different, right? Then I can just spend time to say, okay, let me try to elevate your awareness of the, the possibilities of this solution, whatever it is. Or if you're just beginning to formulate requirements, you know, hey, when people look at this, the kinds of things that they want are, are this kind of list. In other words, you're helping them write the RFP, if not a physical one, than the one they're using in their head. So collaborative buyers are great at understanding where buyers are and then aligning their behavior relative uh, to that journey. Is that what you call situational fluency in your book? It is. And one of the things we, when we talk to modern buyers today about what do they want, I mean, it's kind of interesting because they say, you know, when you talk to salespeople, you know, what's a good experience and a bad experience? And what they'll tell us is, well, when I talk to a salesperson, it's almost always a bad experience. All right. They come in, they ask a few general questions. They can't wait for me to shut up so they can go into product pitch mode. And then they try and sell me something and try to close something. I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but that's generally it. Well, how does that vary against a good experience? And they always say, the buyers always say the same thing. Well, when I work with someone who acts like a consultant or when I work with someone who is an expert and they're working with me and they respect my ideas and my vision and my view and they find ways to make it better, right? Or they actually enlighten me and make me realize, oh gosh, I didn't even know that that was something that you could do, and now maybe I need to consider that. Um, those kinds of, of sellers uh, are much more likely to get the business. Now, you asked about situational fluency. When we ask buyers what do they expect from when they work with people that they consider to be excellent sellers today, that was a good experience for them. They got a lot of value out of the experience. What are the things that they that they appreciated and that they really wanted. And it boils down to five things, okay? And the five, the five things are, first of all, they do expect sellers to understand their products and capabilities. You have to have product knowledge, okay? But they want them to filter that knowledge relative to, uh, to understanding their situation, okay? So they need to understand before they show up, who am I selling to? What does this person have to deal with? What kind of challenges do they have? And now what are the specific things that we offer that would be of value to this person in this situation? The third thing that they, that buyers expect of uh, expert sellers today um, is that they do expect them to have selling skills. They expect them to be passionate about their capabilities and persuasive. They, every, you know, everybody, you know, appreciates someone who can act like a sales professional and guide them through a process to a decision. They also want good interpersonal skills, right? They want people that can communicate well, uh, that can document things, that follow up, 
know, so communication skills are extremely important today because let's face it, we've got a million ways to communicate with people and not all people do it very well. But then the fifth thing that is really important is a collaborative attitude. And that's what we've been talking about. The ability to come to the table with a body of expertise and being able to work respectfully with a buyer to build a better vision of one that they may have or one that they need to construct to bid to create an optimal solution. So uh, product knowledge uh, or capability knowledge, uh, situational knowledge about that particular buyer's individual challenges and issues and, and the kind of things they have to wrestle with every day, selling skills, interpersonal skills, and then a collaborative attitude. And you have manifest all of five of those things, then you are what we call situationally fluent. You can go into any buyer situation and be successful. You can along with them and you can make, you can determine what it is you need to do to really create value uh, for that particular buyer. Well, that, that, that's a fantastic framework. Um, uh, you mentioned agility set selling there mm -hmm. in, in passing, which I know you cover in your book. Could you talk a little about, about agility selling you know, and yeah. what it is and, and how salespeople, you know, especially the field salespeople that listen to this podcast, uh, how, how they can become more agile. You know, this is something in the book, we have a, a short section where we talk about seller agility and it first starts with understanding where the buyer is in that journey. And then how do I, how can I create the most value to get them to a buying decision by adjusting my behavior? Um, there's been a lot of research that has been done on that since we wrote the book. Uh, there was a study out of uh, Florida State that looked at successful salespeople versus those that were kind of middle of the pack versus those that weren't very, doing very well. And one of the things that they discovered is that the, the sellers that did very well were actually well-versed on a variety of different sales strategies and methods, okay? Sometimes it makes sense to be uh, an insight seller and to, be, and to challenge the customer's thinking. Well, that's especially true if they're early in, the, in their uh, uh, buy or buying journey and maybe they are, are content with the status quo, right? Uh, they might be a product salesperson where the buyer has a pretty good idea of what they want to purchase and guess what? It happens to be your product. So let's be transactional and get this thing done and just go fast, fast as possible. You know, that's a, that's a completely valid, uh, when the, you know, when you're buying what I'm selling and it works for you and I see a, that this is a good fit, then by all means, why should I try to re-engineer your vision? Let's just go ahead and get it done. Um, there are situations where I can bring value to their, to them and help them to, you know, mitigate their risk. And so I, uh, being a consultative seller or a solution seller uh, makes a lot of sense. So the top performers mastered as many as four different selling strategies to align with different kinds of buyers. The ones that were in the middle of the pack were well-versed on one type of selling strategy or methodology. And the ones who, uh, who you know, basically were at the tail end, not surprisingly, had never received any kind of development or really didn't have any kind of standard approach at all, uh, or they treated everybody in a kind of a rote fashion uh, that was very, very product oriented. So the ability to be agile and adapt your seller behavior to different kinds of buyer scenarios, depending on where they are in their journey and the kinds of solutions you have to offer is now key to uh, productivity. By the way, the study found that the top performers 
I think they were generating about 80% more than the folks in the middle of the pack. And those folks in the middle of the pack are generating about 80% more than the folks on the tail end. So, you know, it's just, you end up with this kind of multiplicative effect. Uh, so seller agility, I think, is critical today. And the idea that one size fits all or one sales method is going to fit all, I mean, they, there's fads and method uh, in different kinds of approaches. Fortunately, solution selling has always been around aligning with the buyer. So depending on where you are, you can adjust your behavior relative to there. So we've never really had that kind of issue. It always kind of preached a, a type of seller agility. But now I think people need to be more explicit about it. They need to build disciplines, be able to adapt to different kinds of buyer scenarios. Awesome. Well, I'd like to enter the, uh, the section of the show where we, I call sales in 60 seconds. So short answers and short questions. Um, so, uh, what in your opinion is the number one mistake salespeople make when it comes to being collaborative with buyers? Yeah. Well, I think we talked about this a little bit earlier, but it bears repeating the biggest difference between real value add collaborative sellers today. And those that aren't is that those that aren't define themselves by the, what they sell. When you ask them what they do for a living, they sell, I sell X. Okay. Collaborative people define themselves, value they create, and the problems that they solve. Hmm. And um, that's the biggest difference, I think, between the two. So I think the biggest mistake, I know that sounds like a certain amount of, you know, touchy-feely, but it's a huge difference between the top performers and those that are kind of middle of the road or even in the tail end. It, it totally shifts your attitude. And not only that, but it completely changes your behavior and how you work with different kinds of buyers and different kinds of sellers. Also, another benefit that comes out of it, the top performers are generally more satisfied with their lives and they get a lot of uh, satisfaction from their jobs. And number one, because they sell more, so that's good, so they're making more money. But number two, they define themselves as actually creating, you know, creating value for the customers that they work with and making the world a better place. Uh, as opposed to the folks who are just selling commodities and just, they see it as a numbers or activity game and just trying to do it as much as they possibly can. Their satisfaction level with their, uh, their chosen profession is much lower. So mm -hmm. not only is it, uh, is it good for you and your buyers, but it also uh, makes you feel a lot better about the things that you, that you're doing for a living. Well, and I'd also say that it helps you, um, focus not on the features or functions of your of your product and 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 more focus on the benefit and the value that your customer will receive and right. those people that tend to do that tend to do a lot better no doubt about it and this seems like doesn't everybody know this but amazingly we go into sales organizations where they haven't defined what the buyer journey is and they don't really know what their buyer preferences are and they really can't advise their sellers about how to align with that. And so they just train them on products and people, they guess what they talk about. They talk about their product capabilities, you know, yeah. instead of understanding what that buyer situation is and then demonstrating situational fluency and aligning their behavior and having a variety of different methods or techniques to make that a good customer experience and thereby be much more likely to get that order. So it's a big difference, but the, the default behavior out there, still is oriented towards traditional types of, of product pitches. And um, 
I think is there's, that is changing as buyers get more sophisticated and demand more and as sellers are better educated, there's more access to you know, these, this kind of information than ever before. But uh, it's not universal, certainly not. And uh, it, it, a huge difference could be made in the sales profession if more sellers uh, embrace more of a collaborative selling attitude. Yeah, this is a, a theme I've, I, I keep running into um, where, you know, it, it's so important when you're training salespeople or when you're, you know, communicating with your sales team to, to get them not just thinking about, we, we overthink about our product and its features and we underthink about our buyer and the buying process. And yep. you see it in sales training all the time where they spend two weeks on the product and or, or, or the service they're, that they're going to be selling and very little time on who, who is, who is this uh, elusive human who buys this thing that we make? Right. Well, and that's been, there was a study done by CEB, uh, Corporate Executive Board, a number of years ago, and I still think it's valid today, that um, for outside sales teams, B2B sellers, uh, almost, I think, three-fifths of the customer experience is based on their interaction with a seller, right? So, which by the way, is the, by far the biggest component of the customer experience, more than the brand, more than, you know, any other kind of interaction that that, that, that buyer might have with your organization. Um, and so sellers are really the mirror image, an optimal customer experience. And if you don't have the ability to optimize that experience for the customers by acting collaboratively and aligning with buyer preferences, sophisticated buyer preferences today, um, then you're at a huge disadvantage. Uh, so the, um, I don't think sellers completely understand generally that how, what, what kind of, a, how much they are manifesting the brand promise of the organizations that they represent. And the better that they can deliver on that brand promise, the more likely it is that buyers will you know, buy from them and, and do so and buy repeat to, and build loyalty uh, and do repeat purchases with that organization. Absolutely. Well, what do you think all salespeople should do daily to become more successful? Yeah. So first of all, remind yourself about what the elements of situational fluency are. Okay. And then make adjustments uh, to your development to make sure that you can deliver on that and manifest situational fluency. So do you understand all your capabilities in a way that you can actually articulate you know, the value of each of the kinds of things that you sell? Do you understand the, the different kinds of buyer challenges and the people that you're selling to, right? What are your selling skills like? You can always, kind of, you can always refine, do you, do you have a variety of different uh, methods and strategies that you can bring so you can be agile when you're working with different buyers, right? What are your communication skills like? We can all get better at writing. You know, every time I have a sales meeting, I try to have a, uh, a, a summary email back to that buyer saying, okay, here's what we talked about. Here are the capabilities you said you needed. Here are the reasons why, and here's our next steps. And that's a discipline that you need to be able to, to do on a regular basis. Buyers appreciate that because then they can use that and validate their, you know, and clarify their own vision or maybe even refine it or also use that to involve other people and connect other people in the, in the purchase process. So def, def, uh, refining your interpersonal and communication skills is always important. And then finally, do I come to the table with that collaborative attitude, right? Am I, am I able to work with a buyer and bring ideas 
to work with them to create a better vision that's going to create more value for them. Um, and if I can do all of those things, then I'm a collaborative seller. If I get weak on any of those, then I've got something that can be exploited by a competitor or the buyer will simply choose not to buy. As an actionable takeaway, what should the field salespeople listening today do as their first step towards improving their sales careers? Yeah. First of all, I, I go back to defining your own brand. Okay. Um, I think a lot of sellers spend too much time trying to understand their product and they think that their job is to represent their company's brand, but if they can also develop their own experience and expertise and then use that to build credibility for themselves, buyers are much more likely to see them as a consultant as opposed to a salesperson. And, and so, and in brass tacks, what does that mean? How does one develop their own brand? And yeah, well, they parts? have to understand what kind of expertise they need to build, and then they actually have to schedule time to develop that expertise. Right. So, and the longer you can do it, I've been in the sales development profession for thirty years, and every I have a personal goal of I try to read at least a book a week. I don't always do it; it's hard to do. Sometimes I'm just skimming them, but I try to read a book a week on the latest thinking. Uh, or I go online to all the variety of different research sites that are out there and the academic researchers. I, I can maintain relationships with uh, folks doing research on buyer behavior and sales, uh, uh, sales effectiveness and, and just keep up current with what's going on out there. I've cited a few examples here in this discussion today. Um, and so then I can just say, as we're, as we're having a, an interaction with a buyer, I can say, oh, well, here's something that is really useful that perhaps you didn't know, something provocative that might get them to think, hmm, I didn't see the world that way, or I wasn't aware of that, so tell me more. And so they see me as more of an expert. So I think the best thing that we as sellers can do is literally carve off time in your calendar. Look at your calendar, and I would recommend, especially if you're earlier in your career, if you can dedicate at least 10% of your uh, you know, working time to building that expertise, then that's going to pay off for you uh, in the long run. So if I'm working a 40-hour work week, and by the way, what seller only works 40 hours? Uh, you know, we, we all work a lot more than that. Um, but I'll tell you, if I dedicate at least, you know, if I'm working 60 hours a week, I want to dedicate 10, I'm sorry, six hours a week just to, to sharpening the saw, if you will, to going out there, trying to find more information and building more expertise for reading uh, building more things that are relevant to the kinds of buyers that I'm selling to. And that seems like, well, not that much time because you can spread that out over the over a week or whatever and maybe do an hour or so of reading and, and develop that. But it pays off uh, pretty quickly. And it pays off definitely in the long run where you are now seen as a true collaborative consultative seller selling solutions in the value of your capabilities as opposed to being a commodity seller. Absolutely. Great advice. Well, I'm going to try to summarize all the wisdom that you've dropped on us here. Uh, no, a lot of our, a lot of our listeners are, are behind the wheel. And so a summary is helpful since they don't get to take notes. Um, so in summary, what, uh, what Tim has been telling us here, buyers behaviors are, uh, it, it might actually help if you mute while I, while I do this because, uh, I'm getting a little feedback when I talk. Sure thing. Um, Buyers' behaviors are changing, and as a result, salespeople have to make changes to their value-centric sales practices. 
The salespeople who are thriving today build their own brand and work to collaborate with buyers to find an ideal solution. Buyers are more empowered today than ever before because of all the information that they have access to over the internet. Buyers today want to control the buying process since they have so much more information. So uh, the sum of all this is that sellers must collaborate with the buyer. They have to use expertise to show how they can solve their problem and they can quantify their problem and, and then show them what a solution is to that problem. The skill level required of sellers today has greatly increased since salespeople have to have a better understanding of their buyers and must be much more collaborative to be successful. The definition of what a seller, what is a, the definition of a seller is changing and there's been a diversification of sales roles. So there are more types of sales roles today. Organizations need to equip salespeople with the right tools and resources to be collaborative with their buyers. Salespeople should create a brand and define themselves by the problems they solve and the value they create. And that's not, and not to be confused with just uh, associating themselves with the product that they sell. So when collaborative sellers first engage the buyer, they need to ask, where is this buyer in the overall journey? Collaborative sellers then adapt and provide a customized solution for what that buyer currently needs and where they're at in their journey. Buyers today have a whole bunch of expectations uh, from the salespeople that they're interacting with. So they want the, the seller to have product knowledge, situational knowledge, persuasive selling skills, interpersonal skills, and collaborative skills. Altogether, top sellers today must master a variety of selling strategies, and they have to be able to adapt to different types of buyers who are in different types of their buying, different parts of their buying process. Um, well, Tim, this has been a fantastic episode. Where can leader, where can all of our listeners uh, read more about your work and sure reach out to you? Well, of course, you can buy the collaborative sale. It's available uh, on uh, any online bookstore. Uh, you can get it electronically or you can order it. You know, we wrote this book a number of years ago, and I think it was a little bit before its time. In the last few months, it's really uh, taken off. So I think people have discovered, you know, that the things that we had uh, predicted in here are now true. And so uh, it's available to anybody who wants to, uh, to understand a little bit more about the kinds of things we talked about. So I recommend that. Also, um, you can go to our website, which is www.spisales.com, S-P-I-S-A-L-E-S, S-A-L-E-S. And um, we have a blog there, and you can also download white papers about different kinds of uh, collaborative capabilities and some of the research that we have found. So that could be useful as well. And uh, if you'd like to talk to me, uh, you can reach me at T. Sullivan, T-S-U-L-L-I-V-A-N at spisales.com, uh, or you can call us at 704-227-6500. Uh, awesome. Well, uh, I really appreciate your time here, Tim. This has been a great episode of the Outside Sales Talk. If uh, any of our listeners can think of any other sales reps that would benefit from learning the uh, learning these strategies that that Tim has talked about today. Share the love and, and forward this on to them. 
Um, always, uh, we really appreciate any ratings you can leave on iTunes, etc. cetera. Uh, these are super helpful for spreading the word. Tim, I really appreciate you coming today um, and take care until next time, everybody. Bye.